God the Father, completely God. God the Son, completely God. God the Spirit, completely God. All one, and yet distinct in the roles that they play in the work of salvation. And tonight we focus in especially on the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, If you've got a Bible, take it please and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. If you've got one of the Bibles that are in the pews within reach, then you'll find that on page number 1145. 1145. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 2 verse 4 to the end of the chapter. And uh, to keep you interested as you read... Uh, Look out for the contrasts that Paul picks up on in the passage. All right? Let's read this together. uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4. Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God's. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We've not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgment about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is God's word. I was chatting to a guy this week, uh, Thursday morning, and was chatting to him about Jesus, not a Christian. And he was asking a bunch of questions, and it happened that another guy sitting on the table having lunch with us suddenly butted into the conversation. And he said, you know what, I'm not a Christian either, I don't believe there is a God, but when and if I have kids, I'm keen that my kids get taught the Bible because I think it is a good basis for Now, I believe he's right, but I reckon that if he had actually read the Bible, he probably wouldn't have said that. He 
Troy thinks that the Bible is made up of sweet little bedtime stories with nice little friendly morals for his nice, cute, and cuddly kids. I don't think he's read 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. Because in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, God, through his apostle Paul, is confronting humanity. I don't know if you've ever had the experience where someone has sat you down and just labored the point that you have made a mistake and that you're completely foolish and you lack intelligence and you have no strength, only impotence. You ever had that? That's painful, isn't it? And not just that they're commenting briefly, they are laboring this point. How foolish you are. No one enjoys that. But what is happening in 1 Corinthians is God is addressing humanity. And he's not even just telling them again and again. Do you know what? Even your strength is weakness. Even your wisdom is foolishness. That would be bad enough. But you know, he's even on the offensive. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 19. God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Imagine that man telling his kids that story. Once upon a time, God destroyed the wisdom of the wise. And they all lived happily ever after. What is going on in 1 Corinthians? What is God doing in history? Well, to this church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul is addressing them as a people who wrongly think they're wise and mistakenly think they're mature and who are devastatingly divided. And he says, you need to know need to know why God is destroying the wisdom of the wise. Let me show you this. Our first point. A destruction of the world's wisdom. Now to help us see this, I've done a little bit of editing on the screen. And I've taken some of the verses out. What is wrong with the world's wisdom that God is destroying it? Okay? Read this together. This doesn't make good reading for humanity. Verses 8 and 9. None of the rulers of this age understood God's wisdom. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it's written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except a man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. Paul wants these people to see why the world's wisdom needs to be destroyed. Three things from these verses. First one, no one understands. See that in verse 8 and 9? None of the rulers of this age understood God's wisdom. If you look back to chapter 1, verse 24, how is Jesus described? See that in verse 24? end of verse 24, Christ, the power of God 
and the wisdom of God. Who is Jesus? He is the most stupendous display of God's wisdom. He says elsewhere, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want to see God's wisdom? Look at Jesus. And so when you see the best government the world have ever seen and the highest religion the world had ever come up with conspiring to murder Jesus, what does it show you? The wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this age is what? Foolishness. No one understands. Jesus, the supreme display of God's wisdom, and the cross, the supreme display of humanity's ignorance. No one understands. Do you know you see that in the book of Acts? You read through the book of Acts, you get these stunning sermons from Peter and Paul. What are they referred to as, do you know? You babbler. Man, you guys talk silly talk. You're insane. Why? It's God's wisdom, but the wisdom of the world doesn't understand it. No one understands. One, one writer I heard, uh, read this week said that humanity is like an ass in a concert. That's a donkey in a concert. Um, a donkey in a concert doesn't understand what is going on and only makes a disruption. It's humanity. Like a donkey in a concert doesn't understand. Secondly, verse 10b and 11, no one knows. You read that verse, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except a man's spirit within him? That's a great illustration, isn't it? If I was to stop speaking and think, you wouldn't have a clue what I was thinking. You can do the same thing. Let's try it. Anyone know what I was thinking? White chocolate Kit Kat chunky. Just amazing. But you had no idea what that was until I revealed it to you. Likewise, I have no idea what you are thinking until you reveal it. What is Paul's point? Just as no one knows the thoughts of man until they reveal it, no one knows the thoughts of God until he reveals it. God is known by God alone. No sentence in the Bible underscores more emphatically the need for God to reveal himself. Because without that, humanity not only cannot understand, but cannot know God. Third thing, verse 14. Not only don't we understand or know, we also don't accept. Verse 14. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. He starts to see the depravity of humanity. Why does the wisdom of the world need to be destroyed? Because not only can't it know God unless he reveals himself, but even when God does reveal himself, humanity doesn't accept it. It can't. It's not only that God is out with us, so we need him to reveal himself, but that we are so sinful that when he does, we twist it and we distort it and we rebel against it. This is as emphatic a statement of man's depravity that you will find in Paul's letters. They 
do not accept. They are foolishness to him, and they cannot understand. Now, what we do need to realize at this point is, this is a guilty ignorance. This is a culpable ignorance. It's not that God has made humanity so that they cannot understand him, and then he just toys with them for his own enjoyment. No, he created them for himself, and they have run from him. They are guilty in their ignorance. This is part of their rebellion against him. They do not know, they cannot understand, and they do not accept. That's an all-inclusive unity. That is everyone. That is us. The world's wisdom needs to be destroyed. God's wisdom needs to be beheld. And Paul then goes on to say, okay, if that is the destruction of the wisdom of the world, to say that that is nothing, it can achieve nothing when it comes to understanding who God is and why the gospel is necessary, he then goes on to show us the demonstration of the Spirit's power. It's our second point this evening. A demonstration of the Spirit's power. I hope you're asking the question, well, okay, if this is true, that there is this all-inclusive unity in humanity that rejects God and the gospel. How on earth is there a church in Corinth? What has brought people out of that ignorance into calling upon the name of Jesus? I hope that question is in your mind. We should be asking that. And we sing a hymn that kind of summarizes what we've seen so far. I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice, did not know your love within, had no taste for heaven's joys. What breaks that? The next word of the hymn is, then. Then what? Well, Paul says, then a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Look at verse 10a. We have this kind of all-inclusive damning verdict on humanity no eye no ear no mind verse 10 but what then what but God has revealed it to us by his spirit what I could not understand God's spirit revealed it is not then my reason gave me life it is not then my intellect gave me life. It is not then my research or my reading gave me life. Then your spirit gave me life. Opened up your word to me through the gospel of your son. Gave me endless hope and peace. What is it that calls people out of that all-inclusive unity of the rejection of God, but that God's spirit has revealed it to us by then God has revealed it to us by his spirit. See in verse 7, we're talking here about something that has been destined for our glory before time began. What Paul is saying here is that not only was the cross of Christ destined before the world began, but actually the work of the Spirit in the hearts of his people was destined before the world began. 
put it another way. The work of the Spirit in my heart was as much a part of God's eternal plan as the work of Christ upon the cross. Isn't that amazing? What, was, what God has done in the gospel is not just the work of Christ on the cross, but the work of the Spirit in your heart. The work of Christ on the cross was necessary. But actually, it's not the full deal. Because people saw Jesus and crucified him. What I need is not just to see the cross, because I can behold the cross and not understand, not know, not accept. Amazingly, God's salvation involves not only the historic work of Jesus, but the internal work of his spirit in enabling me to understand that cross. Salvation involves God not just working in history, but working internally. What I could not understand, the spirit revealed. But also verse 12, not only the spirit revealed to us, but even the spirit received by us, verse 12. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why, we ask. Why did we receive that spirit? That we may understand what God has freely given us. When we could not know God, we received the spirit of God to understand the gift of God. See that? What is it that comes first? Do I understand the gospel and then receive the spirit? No, we receive the Spirit that we may understand the gospel. That's Paul's point. So just as we do not find the gospel, but we have it revealed to us, so too we do not achieve the understanding of the gospel, but we receive it. It is not earned. It is the free gift of God. My understanding of the gospel is as gracious as the gospel itself. As unmerited, as undeserved as the gospel itself. Faith is not in one's own power. It is divinely given. Spirit revealed to us, spirit received by us. And thirdly, when we could not accept, the spirit came and taught. Verse 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The Spirit is not just a one-time thing for the believer, is it? It becomes teacher, and necessarily so, because before we receive the Spirit of God, we live in line with the Spirit of the world. That is what schools us and teaches us and trains us and molds us. And so the work of the Spirit comes to become the teacher who transforms us from thinking like the world to thinking with, end of verse 15, 16, with the mind of Christ. See that? Here is the Spirit of God that enables us to think differently about all things 
in verse 15. The spiritual man makes judgment about all things. So what does it mean to be a Christian? Not just that you were saved by Jesus, but that you think in line with the Spirit. You belong to a different world, a different age, a different framework of looking at things from the world around you. Because you are taught not by the world, but by the Spirit. And you have the mind not of the world, but the mind of Christ. I was blinded by my sin, no ears to hear your voice. Then your Spirit gave me life. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. Now let's take some time to apply this. Uh, Why does Paul write this to the Corinthians at this point in the letter? Why is he laboring this point of the Spirit's work in salvation? Well, he is wanting the Christians in Corinth, as individuals and as a church community, to be demonstrating the power of the Spirit in everything that they do. Let me give you a list of things. How we as Charlotte Chapel, as Christians, can be demonstrating the power of the Spirit rather than going along with the wisdom of the world that is only going to be destroyed. I've got a list of about five things. Firstly, boasting in God as a demonstration of the Spirit's power. There's a question that's left unanswered so far. The question that is almost right to ask is, shouldn't God have made himself clearer If none of humanity could understand, if they couldn't know, if they couldn't accept, is that God's fault? Should he have made himself understandable, knowable, acceptable? Well, 1 Corinthians is here to teach us that God has done this on purpose. He has done this for a reason. Come back to chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 27 really important that we see this. Chapter 1, verse 27. Why has God chose to work in this way, destroying the wisdom of the wise? Well, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Why? What's the answer in verse 27? So that... No one may boast before him. The reason that God has acted in this open secret that is talked about in verse 7, in this hidden wisdom, is so that no man may boast before him. If the answer to our hymn, What is it that's brought us our eyes to see and our ears to hear? If the answer is, well, me, my wisdom, my reasoning, then we have a reason to boast before God and to boast before other people. And Paul says that God has acted so that no one may boast before him. It's so that the glory may be God's from start to finish. We need to have a view of salvation that boasts only in God's. And that has to do with both Christ and the Spirit. Christ, chapter 1, verse um, 17, so that the cross might not be emptied of its power. But also boasting only in the Spirit, chapter 2, verse 4, so that it might be a demonstration 
of the Spirit's power? Do you have a view of your salvation that boasts only in God's? Or that leaves even a hint of room for boasting in yourself? Let me tell you why this is a glorious way of viewing your salvation. Because chapter 2, verse 5, if salvation means boasting only in God's, it means that your salvation doesn't rest on your own wisdom, but it rests in the power of God. That's why when God works for his own glory, it is for the good of his people. Because it means your salvation is assured and cannot be shaken. It rests on the power of God. He is not only the author of your faith, but he is the perfecter of your faith. Next thing. How do we display and demonstrate the Spirit's power? Well, secondly, demonstrating the Spirit's power in church unity. Do you remember the problems in Corinth? The church is just devastatingly divided. Well, Paul's way of uniting the church is to talk about the Holy Spirit. How does that unite a church? Well, when you realize that all of us here were as ignorant as each other, And you realize that the only reason that we came to know Christ was because of the free gift of God. Then there can be no place for arrogantly asserting yourself over another Christian. Or enviously looking up at another Christian. Because they were as ignorant as you were. And you got the gift just as much as they did. See how focusing on the work of the Holy Spirit is what will unite a congregation. We'll see when we get to chapter 12 and 13 and 14. Tragedy in Corinth is that the the work of the Spirit was what was, a misunderstanding of the work of the Spirit was what was dividing the church. So early in the letter, Paul wants to establish a right understanding of the work of the Spirit in salvation is what will unite a church. You understand that? Third thing, demonstrating the Spirit's power in our dependence in evangelism Uh, we demonstrate that we understand the meaning of this passage when we pray for non-Christian friends and relatives what are you praying when you pray for a non-Christian well you understand that their coming to an understanding of the gospel is not dependent upon themselves but it is beyond them and that they need the spirit to bring them to understanding. That's right, isn't it? It means that we understand this when we we recognize we're not dependent on any preacher explaining the gospel. Actually, all their job is to pronounce the gospel as clearly as they know how because understanding of the gospel is not dependent on a man's wisdom or a woman's wisdom, but on the Spirit's we went to the cinema this week, Sarah and I, uh, to see Madagascar 3. Wonderful movie. Wonderful movie. But uh, in the kind of trailers and the adverts before the movie, the cinema was publicizing uh, how it caters uh, for deaf and blind people so that they can enjoy the cinema experience. I don't know if you've seen this. It's a great thing. So that for deaf people, uh, there are, they put movies on and they've got all the subtitles on them so that they can... Uh, reads what is going on in the film. Great. For if you're blind, you can go to the cinema and you can get headphones and as well as 
all the dialogue and all the sounds, uh, you also get a running commentary so you can understand the movement of what is going on in the screen. Now, our work in evangelism is not to be the subtitles and not to be the running commentary because what is needed is not someone just to make things more understandable. It is for the Spirit to open blind eyes and to open deaf ears. Do you see the point? It's not just that we have to do everything possible so that it will be understandable and penetrate through their lack of understanding. That is not our work. That's liberating. It is the work of the Spirit who brings the eye that has seen but has been blind to it, who's heard but has been deaf to it, that they might see and that they might hear. That is the Spirit's work. Uh, Fourth thing, demonstrating the Spirit's power in distinctiveness from the Did you notice the contrasts in 1 Corinthians 2? These contrasts between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world, between the spirit of God and the spirit of the world, between the mindset of the world and the mind of Christ. There is this fundamental dividing line in humanity that is not between male and female, not between black or white, not between able and disabled, but between those who understand the cross and those who do not. And there should be a visible distinctiveness between those who have the Spirit of God and those who have the Spirit of the world. They think differently, and so they live differently. Are you reflecting that distinctiveness? Are you demonstrating the work of the power of the Spirit that has overcome your ignorance and transformed your very mindset of life. Uh, We know a a young girl, 17 years old. She went on holiday with her mum and her sister, who are not Christians. And she came back from her holiday, and her comment was fascinating. She said, do you know what I realized for the first time? That as we sat in the evenings chatting on the balcony of our apartment, I have very little in common with my mum and my sister. think that that is that ought to be the usual experience for a Christian. We sure we live in the world. We may have the same interests as our non-Christian friends, but when it boils down to it, we're fundamentally different. Because we think not according to the the wisdom of the world, but the weak, hum, humble foolishness of the cross demonstrating the Spirit's power in your life by a distinctiveness from the world? Fifth and final thing for us Christians, demonstrating the Spirit's power in a love for God. I don't know if you noticed that at the end of verse 9. What God has prepared for those who love Him. What does it mean to be a Christian? At a basic level, it's not just understanding something, it's not just having a certain wisdom, it is loving what it means to be a Christian. Are you loving God? Is a love for God replacing and supplanting a love for the things of this world? Increasingly so. Because that demonstrates the power of the Spirit to our watching world. That He is changing us from the mindset out to love God rather than anything else. He says, 
demonstrate the power of the Spirit in every area of your life. Now, uh, before we finish, uh, let me speak to you if you're not a Christian. Uh, there is a foolishness to the Christian message. And what I want to say to you is that is actually something that adds weight to the truthfulness of Christianity. Because who would have dreamt this up? <laughs> if you were constructing a religion that was going to appeal to humanity, would you have come up with this? The weakness and foolishness of a man dying on a cross? Would you have dreamt that up? A man uh, a woman trying to take over the world with a religion never would have come up with that. Maybe, maybe someone would come up with an eternity that includes multiple virgins. That sounds more like something invented by a man's mind. Not this. Do you see how it actually adds weight to the truthfulness of the claims of Christianity? But if that is true, then there is a seriousness to this. There is almost an offensiveness to this. That God is destroying the wisdom of the wise. Uh, we've read, the Spirit searches the deep things of God. But He also searches the deep things of our hearts. I don't know what you've made of the Jimmy Savile stuff, the Lance Armstrong stuff. But it may be in life that our darkest secrets come to bear, or it may be beyond our death that our secrets come to bear. And I heard this morning on the radio that some lawyer had had a bunch of celebrities get in touch with him, scared that in the Savile investigations, some of their past acts might come to light. People are nervous. The truth is that one day the Spirit of God will reveal our darkest moments, our deepest depravity, our most horrendous sins. And the good news of the Christian faith is that Jesus was the one who took our sinfulness upon himself, dying the death that we should die, that we might have life. Maybe tonight the Spirit is, for the first time, bringing you to understand that foolish message of Christianity. Apostle Paul would appeal to you tonight and say, grasp that by faith. Cling to that. Put your trust in that. That rather than the shame of being revealed, there can be the hope of glory for eternity. I hope that your faith would not rest on your own wisdom and understanding the world, but in the power of God.